Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chen Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. This podcast is taken from the Leaders Retreat taking place at The Birch with Chris Penn, who is the founder of The Birch, but also shows a video early on where Chris Penn swam the English Channel. Um, morning everyone. Uh, we are delighted to be joined here by an endurance, endurance nut, a ambassador for change in hospitality um, and innovation, and also the man behind Birch, Chris Penn. And I'm also here as well. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started, we're going to play a quick video. It's actually quite hard to watch that. <laughs> have you, how many times have you seen that? I saw it a lot when we, uh, when we first did the, the video, um, and my friend edited it. But um, yeah, then I, I rarely watch it. Um, until you said, um, could we do something together? And uh, yeah, it, it, it does uh, invoke a few emotions when I watch, watch it, so yeah. Does it, does it bring back some of that actual, does it like nostalgia where you feel some of the pain of doing it or? I, I don't feel the pain. I, I, honestly, I feel, the, I feel the positive emotions of the process of that journey and, and the fact that I, I still don't see that as me. I still, I still find it very hard to, see that that was me that did that and swam up 14 hours and I think when we were talking about could we shape a session how can we do it around business and leadership and all that kind of stuff I mean to me the whole of the last 12 months has been about this um, not the channel but um, can we survive um, can we actually get through this do we give up um, and how do we continue going when so much complexity comes our way because the channel was very much a uh, process of complexity um, preparation but just dealing with dealing with this and and finding ways to equip yourself with with strength to to continue and I'm sure everybody's found that over the last 12 months I, I certainly have I've had so many low points um, different to the channel but um, yeah okay well that's exactly what we're going to get into so in terms of this session kind of broken it down into three things so Impossible, first section, then resilience, and then purpose. So as we're going through, do just put up your hand and shout and jump in, question uh, if you've got anything you want to raise. So yeah, please do keep this quite interactive. So I guess the first question I've got is why? Why take on such a ridiculous challenge? Why, why do it? Yeah, I think... Um... I think personally, I've always had this desire within me to challenge impossible. I've always felt that impossible is a mindset rather than um, something physical and tangible. And actually, we, we go through our lives. When we're children, we, we explore and we, we kind of take risks and we, we find great enjoyment by climbing up a tree and not falling off. And, um, and then we get to adulthood and we don't climb the tree and we tell our kids not to because they might fall off. And so for me, there's it's partly this desire to disprove impossible within my head and to also nurture my mind in order to be able to allow my body to achieve its potential. Um, but also, I guess, to find ways as an adult where we can have these enriching experiences where we're not completely um, constrained by these... The, this kind of risk mindset that maybe is founded upon um, untruths. 
Um, so, so it's kind of a two-part thing of challenge impossible, um, really, really understand the mind, um, and also find these incredible experiences where we can truly find um, just, you know, emotion that we never knew was there, um, which we would have had, like, if we remember when we were kids and we had Christmas or we had anything that we did for the first time, just that feeling. And I think it's really sad that as we get older, we, we don't have as many of those things. Now, I don't for one minute think that anybody should do things that might kill you, um, which uh, sadly, the week before I took on the channel, someone had died. Um, and so there was a real, a real possibility of, of death in taking on something like that, which is why so few people have done it. But I still think that finding things like that help to enable us to, I guess, have more, um, uh, more enjoyable lives where we're, we're, I guess, living rather than thinking about what could be and what might get in our way. So um, it's a product, a product of both. And you, you've talked about um, accepting the risk of failure and, and how you kind of, failure is a building block to success, actually, if you can navigate. Tell, tell us about, about that sort of thought process. Yeah, so, so this, this was the one challenge. I've, I've done lots of endurance things before the channel. Um, I, I used to do a bit of Ironman and kind of long distance triathlon racing. Um, and I, I did feel that um, as I went through that, it, it became more likely that I wasn't going to not finish those races. So um, therefore, there was, there was part of that, that journey that I wasn't happy with, um, that it became not easy. It definitely never, never becomes easy. Endurance is not easy. But I had accepted that I was always going to finish it. And, um, and I think in order to grow, we need to be able to take on things and accept that failure is a possibility. And, and for me in the channel, that was a big step to say, I have to accept that I may fail. I have to accept that I may not get through. And I have to accept that there will be so many mistakes that I make through the process of getting to that point and indeed on the day itself. And actually those are the things that made the, the channel for me was a very emotional and mental journey um, and an important one for, for where I was mentally at that time. But it, it's, it's something that I knew that if I could accept that failure and use the learnings that I had in the mistakes that I made through the process, actually, I could build much more resilience and much more strength in this um, that would be with me then hopefully for, for longer periods. And and I think the same, again, relates back to business where, I mean, every entrepreneur says it, but um, they failed a number of times and they've been the best learnings that they've ever had. Um, but actually, I, I've definitely lived by that. Um, I decided to go out on my own um, five years ago and start to try to build my own hospitality company without money and without assets, which was frankly stupid. Um, but actually, I've survived and it's, it's another journey where I accepted that I might fail, but I was prepared to take that risk because I knew if I didn't fail, I would, I would be able to, to deliver something incredible and, and much more meaningful to me than just a transaction or a material output. Um, and also, um, through the journey, I would, I would 
at, at the level of leadership that I was when I was working, uh, I'm still working, but I find it hard to say I'm working when I'm doing it for myself. Um, but when I was when I was working and at a senior leadership level, I found it really hard to get development. So I found it when people were like, well, how are you going to develop yourself and how are you going to grow? Actually like, well, I've kind of I've done that course, I've done that course, but I realized that my self-development journey was going to need to be facilitated by me taking risks and accepting failure and making mistakes. And so, so that's, that's the most wonderful thing that I found personally for the last five years on a, from a business context is that by taking on audacious, potentially impossible tasks, I've actually developed significantly better than I would have done if I had have stayed in formal employment, not taken as many risks and then not made as many mistakes. So I think failure is just such a crucial part of self-development, learning, and then growing, whether personally, but also in business. So I love, I love the idea of, um, of making mistakes. Yeah, yeah that, that's a danger. Um, uh, and, it, and it's something, it's something which, which I think is, is a danger for, for anybody that, that wants to be high potential, high performance. Um, I struggle with those words related to myself, um, but I just use those words because they define achievements that are kind of um, elevated to, to the norm, whatever the bloody norm is in the world. Um, but uh, there is always a danger that there's a dip. So we, we constantly go through transition curves in our lives where there's an up and then it's immediately followed by a down. The challenge with, I guess, peaks and, and high um, outputs is that then there can be a crash. And, and I've, I've been fascinated in my endurance journey by the world of performance sport. And I've, I've, I've read a lot into kind of minds and mindsets of professional athletes and performance directors. Um, and some of the most dangerous things are the crashes that people um, suffer because actually nothing's ever good enough. And then when they hit the highs, they can't deal with the fact that there's not something to keep going afterwards. And the other, sorry, the other question, could you also driven like that? Do you find it hard recruiting people that are not the same mindset or do you get people that are different to you back on the table? Yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. I think um, uh, the way I equip myself for the channel, so if we, if we use that, that context to start with, it was really important that the, the people that were around me performed certain roles. I didn't need, I, I, I won't say the word in that case, because that, that's probably not the right thing to say, but I didn't need another person on the boat that was, um, that, that had the same mindset as me and was prepared to take big risks. What I needed was a friend of mine who was on the boat was um, a firefighter, a good friend of mine. And I knew that his training in first aid would mean that if I really, really got in a bad position and then someone needed to call an air ambulance, he would probably be the best person to be able to deliver that first stage of um, making sure I didn't pass away. Um, Awful as it sounds, that, that was kind of like my mindset of that. Then my wife was on the boat and I knew that um, she would be able to give me emotional strength. And she had, had been really, really great at, I guess, supporting me through different things that I'd, I'd taken on in my life. Um, but also um, she, 
she knew how to distract me mentally that would enable me to kind of keep powering myself when I went through periods of distress. And then there was another guy on the boat who had um, swum the channel before. So he came with the experience of that. And I think it's the same when you build a team. If, if it's like um, kind of a Harvard Business Review article years ago of like, you don't want A players all the time. Like we need to equip ourselves with different people in order to, to build a successful business. Um, and, and if you don't, you end up with a very dictatorial um, and controlled um, set of um, uh, teams and infrastructure. Um, and actually then that puts a ceiling on the potential of that business. So I've always believed in actually finding people that have ambition that are in the A player roles, but then finding people that are just bloody good at what they do and are, are very content with what they do to be the really good, and, and I didn't use the term, I didn't coin the term A and B player, so I'm not being, I'm not meaning to be derogatory to anybody that sits in a, in a non-A player role. Um, but I think it's, I think you have to have a real balance of people in order to create um, a successful business. And I think moving forward, and it should have been the case for the last God knows how long, I've been in hotels for 25 years and the lack of diversity, ethics, um, inclusion, um, and um, dynamics in teams. It, they've been very, very male, centrally controlled, dictatorial environments. And actually I've, actually, I've been an ambassador for change in that for quite some time. So I'm also trying to build teams that are kind of more, more diverse in terms of the people, the mindset, the skills, um, the qualities. And I think hopefully that, that will be something that enables us to continue to grow because I think businesses that don't do that now are, are likely to fail in any case if they haven't done already. Thanks, Richard. Um, we, in terms of um, the, the preparation to actually do, the, do that feat, what is it that you had to do to actually get past the finish line? What was what was your plan? Yeah, look, I think um, I think the challenge with something like the channel is not very many people have done it. Therefore, there's not really a bible that says do this, do that, do everything else. Equally, starting a business, there's there are many people that have done it, and there are many people that have written books about it. But there are so many different ways that you're going to come across failure and complexity and, and everything else. So there's no right way to do anything, frankly, in life. And we're all, we're all completely independent individual characters with fingerprints, which are um, inherently unique um, and minds which are, which are equally as unique. Therefore, my preparation was not something which I could then learn from, uh, you know, a, a handbook of how to, how to swim it. Um, what I what I did was I went through a process of um, what are the biggest risks and what what are my greatest risks of failure um, and particularly to start with the things that might kill me. So I started with like a very much a risk assessment mentality to, to build the preparation. So what could kill me and then what are the next greatest things that might be the reason the reasons why I failed this um, task. Um, and the first of that was hypothermia. 
So one of the greatest either contributors to people dying when they try to swim the channel or failing is hypothermia. So channel swimming is a very, a very traditional um, sport which is which is trying to um, trying to protect its legacy. So they will not allow people to wear wetsuits, um, and there are so many rules by which you are governed. You, you, you must have a boat. It must have an umpire on it that's making sure you're not doing anything wrong. You must never touch the boat. You must never swim behind the boat. So they can throw you things that you saw like they throw me kind of um, heated um, carbohydrate juice um, kind of on my feed um, patterns, but I have to tread water. I'm not allowed to kind of touch the boat. But, but there's so many rules that govern that. One of which is you've got to wear trunks, um, a swim cap, only one swim cap, you're not allowed to, and a pair of goggles, if you want to wear goggles. So, um, yeah, just because, because it, it's like, it, it's just trying to protect, I think, what Webb, who was the first person that's on the channel, kind of created, which was this, it's, it's a very natural thing. It's, it's a human being against something very natural. And so avoiding interventions of technology and I guess performance software or, or hardware. So it's, tr it's trying to preserve that. Um, so from a hypothermic perspective, I, because I came from a kind of Ironman long distance triathlon background, I was very slim. So I had to really, really take seriously the cold. So in uh, the September, the year before, I saw the channel in 2015, in September 2014, I decided I was going to basically start swimming in cold water and building cold water tolerance for a year. So before the water outside got really cold, I started taking cold showers. So every day I would not allow myself a, cold, uh, a warm shower for a year. So I had to get into the shower in the morning and brace myself for a really cold shower. Yes, I have problems. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, but, but actually the, the discipline of um, the discipline of doing that started to mean that by doing that and then going into water that was seven degrees and trying to swim for 25 minutes where my friend, the first time I went into seven degree waters, um, which was in this outdoor pool um, where I live, that nobody swam in in the winter and you can't get a membership for this, um, this Lido in the, in the summer. Um, I went and I said, could I have a membership for the winter? And they're like, are you mad? I mean, we only use it for sub-aqua training in the winter. Um, but I was able to get a membership for a Lido that was full um, for the winter because nobody was there. But I, I went in for 25 minutes the first time. My body was just burning. Like, I cannot explain how my body felt like it was on fire while it was in the water. And my friend told me to stop after 25 minutes because my mindset was just, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. But he actually asked me to stop at 25 minutes because he's worried that I was going to um, collapse. Um, and I guess I, I continually progressed that, that process of, if I, could, if I could get to the point where 12 degree waters felt warm um, by going in a shower every day that was freezing cold, and learning how to breathe and to control myself so that when I go in the shower, it wasn't, oh, Jesus, it was, and, and learning breathing techniques and um, uh, 
there are people that, that, that trade off that with whim and, uh, you know, those, those wonderful uh, kind of ice techniques. But, yeah, controlling myself, realising that, that actually cold was something which wasn't as physical as I always imagined it was. It was actually far more here. It was, it was my perception of cold rather than my body's tolerance of cold that was the thing that was making me afraid of it or get out of it. Um, we've all done it where we've walked into the sea and, oh, and then you can't quite get um, over a certain part of your body. But when you do, you're like, ah, oh, it's okay. But it was always okay. It was just, it was our fear of it. So, um, so preparation for me was a lot about what might kill me. How can I make sure that then I, I build resilience to those things? Um, and, and then a lot of the rest of it was, I guess, I guess establishing uh, a group of people and a group of things that I could build around me that would be very, very helpful um, infrastructures for, to help me to deal with the complexity that I knew I was going to come across. And how was that shower when you had your first That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I how mean, long after the did you do that? Oh, pretty much immediately. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, the, just, and, and again, I look back on it and I I now, if I go into cold water, go, oh, jeez. Um, and I, I don't know how I did it. But, but again, it, it, it just kind of, it just proves to me that. Um, we all have the ability to do really incredible things as human beings. It's just sometimes we allow this to prevent us to do that. Um, is that, is that true, sir? Yeah, I really interesting. You talk about doing stuff up in the negative, didn't you? Mm. As opposed to how can, what do I need to do to make this work? You start off by saying, yeah. what will stop me from failing? Yeah. It's quite an interesting way to yeah. it. Most, everything you read is all about. Positive. positive yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think. I think. I think positivity is really important to try to develop within yourself. The way I develop positivity is by thinking about what can go wrong, and then the more I protect, like, more I prevent things from going wrong, the more I can then be positive. But my, I guess it links back to us as primitive human beings and. Sure, many of you have read books around um, uh, the mind, um, particularly as seen in leaders in your own um, space. But um, the book I always loved was The Chimp Paradox, if any of you have ever read that. And just this, this idea, which makes sense, that, that actually the things that we think and the things that we talk about inside are, are driven by very, very primitive behaviours that have stuck within our mind. So whilst our bodies and our societies and our environments have changed, there are things within our minds that still relate back to kind of the base needs of survival as one example. So, so I think, I think by, I guess, taking that negativity and then um, either challenging it because it's not real or taking the things that I think are real and are things that I need to take seriously and then providing three, four different scenarios whereby I can get ahead of it then it gives me the confidence to be positive. I think that positivity is really important um, when you're talking to others, I think, um, in order to be able to bring them up and not to bring them down. So, so I think the impact that we have on others, if, we, if I came into work every day 
um, and I said what was in my head, um, I'd be a really shit leader because um, number one, they, they would question why the hell I'm in charge. Um, but, but number two, it would just bring everyone down. Like there's a risk that we'll fail. There's a risk that in, in three months before we, we would have gone crash because we didn't have enough cash. Um, there, was a, there was a risk 12 months before that that we wouldn't ever open because um, we were forced to shut two weeks before we were ever due to open this place, for example, after being on a four year journey of trying to stop the business. Um, but I deal with those things inside and I think, it, I guess it's a leader's responsibility to either deal with those things themselves or to find other people and other infrastructures to help them to deal with those negative things. And then so that then with everyone else, it can be realistic um, and positive, but not naively optimistic. Because I think any, any leader that particularly, I think COVID shown that to people, I think any leader that was out there being naively optimistic would probably have fallen over anyway, because their team would have gone, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, can you not see what we can see? I mean, you know, we're getting excited about maybe we won't need to tell people, don't walk up to a flipping bar, um, please sit down. All of these things that, that have become law to, to, to prevent service in hospitality when hospitality has been desperately trying to survive, we're all getting excited about maybe from June the 21st, we'll be able to serve people properly and we'll be, be able to remove restrictions and constraints from the way that we, we deal with people. But if we think it's going to happen, then we'd be naively optimistic and we'd probably fail. So, um, so I think, um, I think being negative is an internal thing. It's an important thing, I think, um, as long as we deal with it um, in the right way. And I've always had, unfortunately, internally, a very active negative mindset. Um, I, I would call it a risk assessment mindset if I was talking to anybody that worked with me so that then they don't think that I'm ultra negative. But I guess, I guess, I've also had challenges where, uh, and I experienced some about three months ago, um, where sometimes that negativity, I, I lose the power to be able to, um, to, to either challenge it or to deal with it. Um, and I think that's the danger with, with this, which so many people have experienced forever, but um, I guess it's more, people are more aware of it now that, um, that there's that, that fine line between negative, negativity being controllable and something that we can, we can hold on to, build on to, and it becomes the risk assessment process that means that we create strong businesses, um, strong lives for ourselves and don't fall over versus the thing, the thing that actually prevents us being um, able to get out of bed in the morning and um, to perform. I mean, just so, you said you mentioned something three months ago and also on the video there was a point in that journey where you were like shit can't do this or you got stung by jellyfish but how how do you build that sort of mental resilience and keep going and find mm -hmm. find the way back because obviously and for the leaders the last 12 18 months have been probably lots of dark times yeah i think i think for everybody right i think i think if you if and I'm not going to do it, um, but if, if we said, can anybody in this room put their hands up if the last 12 months has been just incredibly and um, brilliant for their business, I, I think it'd be, it'd be odd if there was someone in here, unless they're in a pharmaceutical company, that, that would say that this, this 
this last 12 months has been incredible for them, both personally and, and in their businesses. Um, uh, I would say, yes, um, there, were, there have been very uh, difficult times. I, I spoke about it before, but there's, um, there's kind of the things that you do yourself, but also the things that, that, that people around you can bring to you. Um, the, the, Chitan, I've, I've forgotten the specific of the question because I've talked to a load of crap. Of <laughs> uh, what was the specific, so, so, just to make sure I... Uh, it's just still about mental resilience and how do you come back from lows, essentially, and, and what, what support structure do you need? What, what are the tools, techniques? Uh, what do you use to get back on track? If Because you're holding everything yeah. and protecting your teams. Yeah, I, I'm going to write down my... Um, my uh, my word that I wanted to use, just so I don't forget it while I'm while I'm um, building context. Um, so, so one of one of those things um, that I would say is a good preventative measure is focus. So, it, it's something that is incredibly hard in today's world to be focused on things because there are so many distractions and um, distractions distractions. We've, we've kind of got used to and we accept them and then we add more on, whether it's like I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter and I'm on um, Facebook. And then I've also got um, kind of numerous other social media. I've got then business emails, I've got personal emails. Uh, oh, and I need to know what those people are doing over there. So I've got Zoom calls and we've got so many things that are distracting us that actually the hardest things for us to do is to remain, to, to remain focused. And I think it's something that was super important for me in the channel, but it's also super important for business leaders, particularly to find ways to, to be able to focus and, and focus properly, not, not to be the person that says, oh, let's have a one-to-one. -one. Um, and then, oh, sorry, I'm going to be 10 minutes late uh, just because that thing ran over or I just got an email. Um, so I'll just be 10 minutes late. I'm, I'm pointing at you not because we're having a one-to-one, -one, just because <laughs> it's easy to point at. Uh, I'll point at someone else in a minute. Um, but, but then you get into the one-to-one, -one, oh, sorry, my phone's just ringing. Oh, oh God, I can't, I can't believe they just, just said that on Instagram. Um, oh, that's a great picture. And, and then we become, if we're not careful, we become people that have lots of distractions. Um, I think to achieve incredible things and to build great businesses, um, particularly as leaders, we need, we need focus. Um, and so the first thing for me was building focus. How can, I, how can I prevent lots of things coming into my head that will distract me or maybe try to derail me um, when I'm going through that journey? So, so one of the key things that I did um, was I, I have three children um, and I had asked them to write on my arms um, in kind of permanent black marker, not like permanent, permanent, but permanent enough that it wouldn't wash up in, in the sea. So, so they they drew on my arms before I went down to Dover. So my my son, who was um, he was probably like two years old, drew a thing that looked. I'd say it was a spider, but that's only because it was just a few little strands. But it was like that's Jack's thing. It's like that that's a picture of him there that I've got while I'm swimming. Um, then Isla, my eldest, um, uh, she had written, go on dad, you can do it. And then Holly had written something that was 
barely legible, but it was nice. Um, and, then, and then what I did is I decided that every hour I would focus on one of the children um, and I would just be thinking about them. So I would be able to see them in front of me in the water. I'd be kind of talking to them. And so I was just completely distracted by just that child. Then I would, uh, it would typically every hour then the boat would kind of wave at me and go like it's feed time and throw me some um, water or whatever. And then it'd be like, right, okay. And um, you know, for the next hour, I'm gonna be focusing on another child. And then it'd be Jack and like thinking about like what Jack does and when we play together and what, why was he drawing that spider? Because I could see these things as I was, I was swimming. Um, so that was a really good way of meaning that I was incredibly undistracted in what I did. Um, specific to the swim, um, one piece of advice that I'd, I'd been given um, when I did talk to um, one channel swimmer um, through the process was um, perfect technique. So basically, if you're struggling, just perfect technique. So every stroke, think, were my fingers in the right position? Did my hand go in exactly the right angle? How was my pull? Um, could it have gone further? Was it was I grabbing enough of the water? Um, when when did I pull it out? And so you you kind of you are just constantly perfecting technique. So every stroke you're going, oh that wasn't quite right. Next time I next time I use my arm, I'll think about my my index finger, and then the next time, oh there was a slight like lag on my little finger. I'll close that in the next time, and then. By the time you know it, three hours have gone, but you're so, so focused on that that it avoids all of this distraction, the distraction that can derail you, bring the wrong um, thoughts into your mind. So, so I would say one of the best ways of, I guess, surviving through that and, and avoiding the, the lows was to, to, to have real, real dedicated focus. Um, some other distractions were um, the team on the boat, they had a big whiteboard and um, they would write either comments that people had texted in from like, friends and family that were, you, you're able to track channel boats on, a, on, a, on an app um, so they could see and they would like send a little note and, and that would kind of uplift you. But it was about, um, it was about really, really um, focusing and avoiding distractions. And I think that's just imperative for um, kind of building solid businesses as well. So there's focus and there's distraction. Yeah. And we obviously, I know they're complete opposites. So for, for the group in the room, as business leaders, you need to focus, of course, on the business. But what, what are you saying in terms of distraction that also helps them? Is it, is it a hobby, sport, or whatever it is to them that helps them switch off a bit? Is that? Yeah, look. Um... Uh, I am definitely not a leadership coach, so um, please don't listen to anything I say and then go and uh, suggest that I, I, you know, it's it's the perfect footprint to be able to, to be successful in leadership. That's not that's not what I'm about. Um, but hopefully, by sharing by sharing stories, it, it makes us think uh, maybe in different ways. Um, but uh, I think uh, I think the distraction for me. Um, that, that's very specific in the channel. And, and the focus is obvious, right? The focus is we are all, if we're not careful, guilty of becoming over-distracted with things that frankly are pointless and not helpful. Um, we have way too much data. We try and know everything and it can be the thing that, that um, 
that causes our downfall. It's very, very dangerous, and it's dangerous for the people that we lead. Um, so, so that's pretty obvious. The distraction, I guess it's different, I, I would say, in a, in a business context. Um, but I've always believed in, um, I'd call it a three-legged stool, which sounds very corporate and as if I'm doing a leadership chat. Um, but I, I believe in a balance of life. Um, so I, I have kind of three, three key um, legs. This is a nice example mm -hmm. here that I have to keep in constant balance. One is business. Um, the other is my sport and um, I guess my health and well-being. And then the third one is my family. And so they're the, the, like three things that are constantly being balanced in my life. Um, and each of them becomes a distraction to the other, but a positive distraction. So if I push too far on the business side and I'm not investing enough time with my family and I'm not investing enough time in my own personal health and well-being, then something's going to fall over. So I guess it's not quite a distraction, um, but I think it's an important understanding that if we're not careful without focus, we have too many distractions. The positive distractions, I guess, from a business context could be by just understanding that you can't know everything and that business is not the be all and end all. And actually to be a great leader, I think you need to be a balanced person. Otherwise you become a pretty horrible dictator of which there are so many in the hotel industry. Uh, hopefully I'm not one, but well, we, we, ask my team. <laughs> we, Frustrations. So uh, I I was in an industry. So before I started in the hotel industry, uh, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Um, but I really um, uh, I really enjoyed maths. I liked economics, boring, um, and I liked people. So uh, you know they were the things that that when I got to kind of A level um, time, I, I really enjoyed and felt I had some capability um, and skill set for. Um, we, were, we were asked to do work experience at school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was starting to get a bit lazy in A-levels. I didn't really want to be in lessons very much. Um, I wasn't bad, but I just uh, I'd lost a little bit of interest. Um, and we had to do, we were forced to do two weeks work experience. I um, didn't know what I wanted to do. So for those of us that didn't have a career aspiration, there was a list of kind of um, off the shelf things that we could go and do. One of which was go to a hotel and work at a hotel and shadow a manager, um, which is the most interesting experience I've ever been through. Um, but the reason I chose it, because I thought it'd be easy. So when I looked at the list of things, I thought that would be the easiest thing. Because surely like hotels are a piece of piss and you know, it's just, it's just like a bit of food, a bit of drink and like people sleeping there. Um, so I went there and um, I wasn't disappointed really. Um, the, the manager who I uh, the manager who I was shadowing. Um, firstly, we went into the canteen and he had a cigarette um, uh, before he ordered his breakfast, which the team brought him. Um, and uh, and and then and then event eventually I was handed off because obviously he was too important. Um, and I was given to someone in the restaurant that was in the ship. So 
This person was massively in the shit. Um, they had orders galore, they had consumers in the restaurant and um, it was pretty chaotic. But I actually really enjoyed that because I was like put into this like fire situation where there were people that you needed to make happy. And I really liked kind of building relationships, social interaction. Um, I loved like human to human transactions. I love this idea that if you intervened in something, you know, in many businesses and in many industries, like the, the output takes a year, it could take six months, it could take even longer. In a service environment, it's like immediate. Have I made that person happy or have I made them sad? Um, and I loved that. I loved the fact that you could add value. And then actually, I was quite logical because of the, the kind of maths and economic side of what I was um, learning. And therefore, I could kind of see the opportunity for process and structure and logic. And so I really like this because it's like, it's like a logic puzzle every day, but with a load of human beings. Um, so, so I stumbled in hotels and then I worked while I was doing my A-levels at the weekends as a waiter. And then I didn't know what I wanted to do longer term, but, but they said, why don't you do a training management role here? Don't go to uni, we'll train you, develop you, learn on the job. Then at least you get to, to experience every part of how to run a hotel. So I embarked on that journey 25 years ago, but I hated the, the management style that I saw. I wasn't enamored at all by what hotels were. They felt to me like male dominated um, lifestyle businesses for um, the elite. And I just hated it. So the reason why I went into endurance was I wanted to stay true to who Chris was because I was worried that if I was, if I was moving up in this, this world of masculinity and, and frankly bollocks, um, I, would, I would, if I wasn't careful, I, I might get pulled into it. And that wasn't who Chris was. So I spent, spent the first 15 years acting. Um, and that really, that, there was part of me that loved that. I loved the idea of, you know, outside of work, I was, um, I was just Chris and I was, uh, most of my friends were not in hospitality. And so I had a completely different life. And then when I went into hospitality, it was a job and I had to act. And I had to, had to serve people that I had no idea how they could afford the kind of experiences they were paying for. They were quite kind of luxury hotels. So there was a real disconnect between me and the consumer um, of which then I felt, how can you serve? How can I really serve if I'm kind of a spotty 22 year old and then the person on the other side of the, the table is kind of a very, very wealthy middle-aged person that has servants. I mean, and I'm meant to make that person happy and I really can't um, relate to them at all. So as I continued through my career, um, I was worried that hotels weren't right for me because actually I believed in mental and physical wellness. I was doing endurance and I was considered a bit of an outcast in hotels because I wasn't doing 17 hour days and 18 hour days. So how could I possibly be performing? But actually from a business context, I, context, I was outperforming because I had these balances and I was a better leader because I was more emotionally intelligent, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I then was asked, um, I was asked to launch um, an American company over here, which is called Ace Hotels. Um, and they'd done a deal in, in Shoreditch. And I knew nothing about Ace Hotels, but I decided, because I like to do crazy things. Um, at that point, 
I thought, I'll never be able to do it, but I'll just take the job because they liked me. Um, the only reason they liked me was because we sat and had a coffee and we got on. Um, and I was like, wow, like, that's amazing. They've employed me. I know they've got my CV, but they haven't talked about my CV. They've just had a chat with me and a coffee and then they've gone, you got the job. And it was quite a, it was a decent role. Um, and then ever after that, and I was with Ace for four years and we launched an incredible business and it did incredibly well. Um, and I had lots and lots of challenges thrown at it, not like COVID, but some more serious actually. Um, uh, for example, we found, I found the founder dead um, of Ace Hotels two, two months after I'd opened the property um, in one of the bedrooms. And so it was, the, it was the gift that kept giving in terms of complexity, that one. Um, seems that wherever I go, there's bloody chaos and um, complexity. But, but what Ace taught me, so um, I spent the first six months with Ace worrying about what do I wear? And going into meetings going, do I wear a jacket? Do I not wear a jacket? What, like, it was ridiculous. I wasted the first six months worrying about things that weren't real. And I spoke to Alex and I said, look, I'm struggling a bit because I don't really know what Ace is. And he said, just be yourself. I was like, but, but don't you have like a brand standard stock and like you've got values and purpose? He's like, but yeah, the, the thing is be yourself. Like what we do, our purpose is to find great people and, and then get more great people and, and then let those great people talk to great people. And then, and then you end up with this wonderful spiral of great people looking after great people and engaging with great people. And I was like, wow, that's, that's incredibly simple, but... I love it. And so Ace taught me to be myself um, when I'd been acting. And so when I went out on my own, what I wanted to do was I wanted to, I wanted to do things that I felt were um, not right in the hospitality industry, in the hotel industry um, myself. I thought I could moan about them. I could like sit in a room and I could go to like industry events and we could all have this wonderful discussion about how we can change the industry and then hey, moan about don't it. Don't knock that. No, 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 that, that's good. That's good. Which, which is obviously really important. Um, but uh, we're talking about hotels, not, not your industry. But and, and hotels is a lot about moaning about it rather than doing anything about it. So we can all talk about it, but I believe that we should do things about it, of which I'm sure you will do, which is probably why you're here. Um, but... Um, that I could be another contributor to the problem and I could just tell more people what the problem is, or I could be part of the solution and say, well, why don't I, why don't I take all of that and go, wow, um, actually maybe hotels are not any more delivering experience. Maybe hotels have, have got so caught up in commoditized travel that they've become boxes and people are just paying for a smaller and smaller and more um, diluted and kind of depressed uh, uh, proposition. And maybe actually that's not what really people need and really people want. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to take all the things that I knew about mental and physical health, well-being, performance, and uh, I guess lifestyle in terms of relationships, humanity, kind of trying to be honest with people, purpose, um, and that's the most important thing. And just go, if I could build something where it's founded upon genuine, genuinely wanting to do the right thing, making shitloads of mistakes, but always, always with real purpose around, build something that people really want to go to that excites them, that engages them, that energizes them. Try to find and build a hotel company that could create solutions that would 
hopefully help to add value to people's lives rather than just sell rooms or make money. Um, and so that is where I got to doing this was I felt that the hotel industry was not delivering experience to people. It was taking consumers for granted. It was commoditizing itself. And I wanted to be part of a solution to actually say, do you know what? There are many, many industries that do it so bloody incredibly well, such as the festival industry. Why don't we take more of a mindset of that and say, just create spaces where actually, if people came away for a weekend, they might feel they've been there for a week and then you've given them time, which is our most precious commodity and avoid all the distractions of, well, we need to read the news every morning. And when we, when we need to get up, we need technology. And it's the first thing we look at and try to just create those, those, those things. So, so founded upon purpose, um, still at a very early stage, but trying to be a solution, not part of the problem would be the, the long answer to a very short question. So just, sorry. Just, just going to the point about distractions, personally, I'm not turning off all the notifications on my phone. Yeah. It's the best thing I've ever done. I don't get notifications for emails anymore. Yeah. I don't get notifications for social media. And that's why I can choose the line of it. Yeah. Because it's a new world trying to get all the yeah. We've yeah. just got, sorry, to, we're almost out of time. Um, I want to just finish on one last question. Um, and that's the word you've used quite a bit just in the last five minutes, purpose. Mm. Why is it important to think about purpose and, and what does that mean for the people in this room? Or, or how, how do they apply what you're hopefully about to say about that word? Uh, so I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, that oh, is, is it still on there? No. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that, which is not on there anymore, um, if it wasn't, if it didn't mean significantly more to me than a translation. <coughs> So I, there's no way I would have done culture hours for the year. There's no, no way I would have um, been in Dover Harbour every Saturday morning doing six hour um, swims um, if the, 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 the channel swim didn't mean so much more to me than just um, a transaction. You know, it's not about like getting a medal or, um, or even kind of being in a, in a book or, or whatever. It, it, it was so much deeper for me. And that was the way, that was one of the things that I held on to all the way through that kept me going. Um, the, the business that I'm trying to build, um, and when I say trying, it's because we're still on a very long journey and we're still, um, still at the very start of it. But it, it, if, if it's not founded upon something much deeper than the desire to make money, um, the desire to be successful, um, the desire to transact, um, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have survived the last twelve months. Um, we 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 are a startup. We had worked with a, a, a real estate capital partner to invest in this asset, and um, two weeks before we were due to launch as a new brand that was still. You know the, the the real estate investors were still trying to work out whether we were going to be successful or not um two weeks before we were due to open and we'd spent all the pre-opening cash of training people and everything else we were forced to close and we had to go back to these investors and say shit we need some money and they said well shit we need some money as well because we own a portfolio of hotels that um uh that are all in a worse situation than you and we own a pub company that's in a worse situation than you so suddenly you're thrown into into that incredibly um, 
difficult situation where you don't even know whether you're going to be able to open the thing that you you dreamt of opening um, and all the challenges that 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 um, brings the only way we got through was because there was a really really much deeper and greater purpose to what we were doing and a belief from us and the people that that were around us including the team that was then going to be the reason that we got through and actually the same with consumers because in the early days when we started to talking talking to people about it because we were very honest and we were very genuine in in who we were and how we were going to try and build this thing and it was going to take you know some time to build a kind of circular environment here and everything else um, but there was the intention to to do that people were like yeah well, well we'll come on that journey with you and it was those things that enabled us to get the support that we needed to then get through to opening in august last year then in August last year, we had lots of consumers through the door when we'd eventually got open. And we had to trade with so many different restrictions as a new business and a new operation that it became really, really difficult to, um, to feel comfortable that we were delivering what we had set out to do, which was to deliver this free escape for people outside of the city. Because as soon as you arrive, we had to tell you to not do that, not do that, don't stand next to each other stay separate don't go in groups of six which became more and more complex and as a new brand then that was really really difficult but i guess because the people that people came into contact with and ourselves as a team were saying well we're not happy with it um, but people know we're not happy with it and they know we're going to sort it out that would be the thing that gets us through it so again it was much deeper than just like let's just let's make as much money as we can in the first three months and and hopefully then we'll have enough money if anything if anything goes wrong because actually after three and a half months we were forced to shut again um and then if we thought it was bad back in april it got significantly worse then um and so for the last seven months my job's been to to try and make this business survive and give the team and ourselves something to to actually come back to and it's been chaotic because we've not had the cash to do it and and all of that stuff um but we've done it and we're in the process now of being able to learn grow make loads of mistakes and then build upon it and i'm really excited about that and we've got the we've got the right components now to to really build upon that um you know we're in our third week um uh so so we're still still on a on a step on that journey but we wouldn't have been in our third week if we didn't have a much greater purpose to this place and a much greater desire to add value to people's lives um, and the world and everything else in what we're doing with, with Birch and um, so so therefore I think it was an imperative for us to survive um, because I've seen so many hospitality companies go under um, I'm sure in, in, in your industry you've seen many businesses not survive as well um, and I think for any business that, that is likely to be relevant and successful in a post-COVID environment, most people over the last 12 months have really questioned what life's about. Um, I, think, I think most people, when they've been in lockdown, have had some really serious conversations with themselves, their families. Um, sometimes very difficult situations have come by people being forced in one space together and either either difficult decisions were then made or actually 
kind of good decisions were made about actually why am I commuting all the time? Why are we spending so much time on technology? Why are we not spending as much time with our kids as we should? Why are we ex why are we outsourcing parenting? Why are we outsourcing all these things when life is about human beings? And I guess we all saw the roots of what humanity is, which is back to the primitive thing, is survival, right? That, that's what it became over the last 12 months. So, so I think with the fact that all consumers have been through that, all human beings have been through that, if a business is now trying to trade without purpose, it's highly unlikely that it's going to survive. It might have a, a short-term benefit of the fact that everyone wants to get out, but it, they won't be sticky. So I hope that by building things with purpose, that that will be the thing that differentiates us, but also keeps us going through more complex times because we might have got through COVID, you know, let's see. Um, but even if we haven't, there's going to be so much other shit that's thrown at us. So the purpose will be the thing that kind of holds us all together and so all together as we go through. We really hope you enjoyed those talks. And if so, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. To see what the next discussions are, please go to mustburnit.com and click on Talks in the menu bar. To contact MySpook, please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter.